Shalom, friends. Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International website, which is called www.flashfloods.com. And the whole purpose of this website is to be somewhat of a tsunami warning system. Uh, my wife and I, Dalit, and those brothers and sisters that support us to be joined together as one body, to stand up on the guard tower, on the ramparts, and proclaim to you when there's rivers in the desert are breaking out. So let's go now into one of those messages, the fresh flow of the Holy Spirit, um, and may his presence, his ruach, walk through your garden, visit you in this hour, uplift you, refresh you, separate you, and invigorate you, and send you out. Hallelujah, to do exploits for his name. God bless. Go ahead and enjoy this message. And don't forget your Bible. Get your Bible open. a year called the days of all in the Jewish calendar. You say, what is that? It's where everybody shrinks up and gets scared. They start fasting tomorrow. They'll wear no leather shoes in the synagogue. And we got to rewind back to when the temple was destroyed Bless their darling hearts and stupid heads. But anyway, the rabbis, they rejected Jesus, and they rejected him, you know, and they came up with their own religion. They said, we don't have sacrifices. It's okay. We'll, make, we'll, we'll come up with prayers and fasting and good works. And last Wednesday was the Feast of Trumpets, which is Yom Teruah in Hebrew. Teruah. It's the blast of the shofar and the shout. It's really cool. You know, Balaam couldn't curse Israel, Numbers 23 or 22, somewhere in that region, you know, because he said the teruah of the king is among them. Ooh. And so... uh this initiates the days of awe. But the rabbis, because they didn't have the temple anymore, they came up with a thing called Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, which is the head of the year, the beginning of the new year. <laughs> Remove it from your vocabulary, it's not scriptural. Rosh Hashanah is a holiday inaugurated by those who rejected Jesus. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. And so if we peel back to tradition and in the handcuffs, hallelujah, that abound us, we see at this time of year is the Feast of Trumpets, the sounding of the shofar to wake people up, hallelujah, because we're quickly spiraling into, as believers, not the Yom Kippur of David Atonement, Jesus already filled that. We're spiraling very quickly into the last feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, harvest, joy, all that good stuff. And they're, by the way, they're not Jewish feasts. They're called the Feast of the Lord. Jew and Gentile, one in the Messiah. Hallelujah. Come on. We just got to clear out the cobwebs. You know, stuff we heard, picked up, you know. Get out the lint machine tonight. Just kind of clean some stuff up. 
The Feast of Trumpets was initiated in Leviticus to announce the beginning of the year of Jubilee. You say, well, do we have to wait 50 years? No. When Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he concluded and said, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. What are you saying in Nazareth Synagogue? I am the Jubilee. So Jubilee is not a 50-year time period. It is a person. And the trumpet is not something that we decided, shofar, shofarot, whatever. It's not something that we decided to make. Let's kill this big kudu here. Soak it in bleach. Get the John the Baptist smell out of it. Hallelujah. And we'll just blow it because we just want to make a bunch of noise. No. The first time the shofar was used was by God himself on Sinai. Remember they said, whoa, Moshe, you go talk. Ah, We'll die. We can't hear his words. And the last time the shofar will be used is the seventh trumpet of the seventh angel. Hallelujah. And we're going to have a celebration like you've never known before. So we see the sound of teruah comes in from that now realm, our home, hallelujah, stir things up here, and it comes out. Oh, man, there's so much here. Hallelujah. <laughs> there's the three feasts. No, not Jewish feasts, okay? They're the feast of the Lord. Passover, Jesus fulfilled it. Fifty days later, Shavuot, Pentecost, he's fulfilled it. We're now heading into tabernacles, the end gathering. Hallelujah. And the blast of the trumpet initiates, reminds the Jewish people of the year of Jubilee. And the same Hebrew word Jubilee is Yaval in Hebrew. And it's the same word for trumpet. And so I was at a church in Florida once and I found that out. I read my Bible and just got tickled pink. Hallelujah. And I said, wow, you mean, Lord, I don't have to wait 50 years. I can blow the trumpet now by faith. Under the inspiration, not by might nor by power, that's what the scripture is, but by my spirit. You're welcome. <laughs> and so I was in this revival meeting, so I went out, it was a small church in Florida, I went out and be- behind the church and a bunch of young people, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to blow the shofar. And I felt that anointing. And I said, Lord, let just bless this place with jubilee. The next day, that church received the largest one-time check in the history of the church. They revamped their entire children's program with it. I said, Lord, I, I like this. Hallelujah. Yeah, I'm in. We're going to. So there's a lot tied up in this feast. Hallelujah. We're not celebrating the day, okay? We're celebrating the person. Come on up. Let that sink in. Hallelujah. You say, well, truth. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. Healing's not just an energy. It's a person. Hallelujah. And so have you found Exodus yet? Hallelujah. 
And so the Lord said, take up an offering, as Pastor Steve was reading. Verse 18 of chapter 24, 40 days and 40 nights. Hallelujah. 40 days and 40 nights. I think right away of Noah, 40 days and 40 nights in a stinking ark. I mean, it was God ordained ark, but you got all the animals in there. Come on. Fellowship. What's fellowship? Two fellows in a ship. So now you have Moses, not in an ark, but he's in the very glory cloud, 40 days and 40 nights, and then God spoke. Sometimes it takes a season of being in his presence before you can even understand what he wants you to say or even wants you to do. That's why I love extended revival meetings. Hallelujah. From glory to glory, from faith to faith. How about this? From freedom to freedom. We're morphing, folks. We're metamorphosizing. Hallelujah. (laughs) And so the first thing God said to Moses, chapter 25, verse 1, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for you. Every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. And it goes on here talking about all the things to raise. Verse 5 talks about ram skins, porpoise skins. Don't tell Greenpeace. But we, want to, we need to get down quickly. Spiral down to verse five, verse 8. And let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. The word dwell, Dali, I love her accent. Honey, why don't you say the word dwell? I, I'll give you a hint. That's it right there. She said Mishkan. Mishkan is the tabernacle. It's mobile. But it's also the same root for the word Shekinah, the glory of God. And if you connect the dots, it's also the same Hebrew word for Shekhun, which is a housing project or a cluster of homes that live very close together. And it's also the same Hebrew word. Come on, folks. It's the same Hebrew word for neighbor. So the Shekinah glory of God is not some mysterious force like the aurora borealis way out there, in and out of focus every once in a while. Wow, did you see that cloud in the building? No, it was just the fluorescent lights going out, okay? Sometimes it's the truth. Sometimes it's not. The Shekinah glory of God is wants to dwell among his people as close as a neighbor is next door to you. Now catch this, folks. If you go to Caesarea or Caesarea, go into a Jewish neighborhood there, it says Shehun or cluster. It's a cluster of houses very close to each other. Hallelujah. That's the same word for the Shekinah glory of God. Same root. Now let's move on. Go to Habakkuk. Find Malachi or Matthew. Make a left-hand turn. About five books, you'll hit it. Habakkuk chapter 1. Right before, right after Nahum. You know, this is the, the prophetic word where Shaginoth comes from. 
But what caused, what kicks in the Shaginoth, the wild, radical, emotional praise? It's actually from the Hebrew word, Mishigah, which means to be crazy or mentally ill. <laughs> Serious. Jesus is not American. He's not British. He's not Argentinian. He's not French. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's Israeli. Okay. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder. I'm doing something in your days. You would not believe it even if I had told you. What's the context? Jeremiah prophesies that I'm coming in to destroy this temple. I'm going to robber's den. I'm going to take it out. I'm going to leave a remnant, though. Hallelujah. Habakkuk's on the tail end of, of Jeremiah's prophecy. He's waiting for Nebuchadnezzar to come in from the north, take out the city. Jeremiah's already been per persecuted, prosecuted by the temple police, thrown in a cistern. Baruch's come in. You got a real estate deal going on. Real estate's going to go up again. Buy it now while you can. You know, big, Jeremiah's biggest problem was the court prophets. One guy named is Hananiah. Hananiah said, Nebuchadnezzar will come here. You know what Hananiah means in Hebrew? The grace of God. They just wanted to hear a grace message. He was a court prophet. What's a court prophet? Somebody who's for hire. I remember I was in a church in Canada. It's not the same church. We were in the, I was in a church in Canada, and hey, it was great offerings. One week, $70,000 plus came in. Revival was kicking in. It was wonderful. And the Lord said to me, are you going to preach what I want you to preach? And I said, well, yeah, Lord, we're having great meetings. He says, no, you're, not, you're, you're leaving some of the things out, but you know you'll offend some, some of the leadership, and they don't want to hear that. Now, you have a decision right now. Do you want to be my friend, or are you going to be a court prophet? I've already made the bungee jump. It's no turning back, folks. Hallelujah. And so God tells the prophet, I'm about to do something. It's beyond your brain tissue. So what does the prophet do? Verse 1 of chapter 2. Come on, stay with me, folks. This is going to get better. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the ramparts. Now I just want to say, some of the pastors here, they friends of our ministry, we love these guys. Some of you guys, have you heard me preach on these things? Hang on, let's get everybody on the same page here. I was, what does the prophet do? He's, God's about to do something beyond he, he could ever fathom. What does he do? I'll stand on my guard post, station myself on the rampart. I'll keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I'm reproved. So the prophet puts himself in a position of hearing from God, not for a, a lovely word of, of, of edification, but for a word of correction. Reproof. To prove you, rewind, prove you again, rewind. Smile, folks. It's a happy message. Hallelujah. Aberdeen Proving Grounds in Maryland, they go out there, the Navy and the Army, and they prove their weapon systems. Thank God for that. Amen. None of us would fly American Airlines, Delta, or whatever, if that fuselage, that certain Boeing, had not gone through some type of wind tunnel testing. Amen. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of reproving? 
to identify the stress fractures in our fuselages so we won't break up under the heavy weight of glory. Oh! So God, how many people believe God's about to do something in our civilization we never even fathom? I believe it. This is the days of all. So let's position ourselves on the rampart. Hallelujah. And let's not get all our dandruff worked up and blow head gaskets if he starts pointing some things out to us that you don't like. Let's just, come on, have a drink, deal with it, and move on. Or you've got to come back and repeat summer school again, okay? So the prophet puts himself in a place of, Lord, reprove me, teach me. And then the Lord answered and said, record the vision. It's only when you go through a season of maturity of correction in the desert. I spoke yesterday, the word desert, midbar, where Jesus was tested, is the same word, devir, or debir, same word for Deborah, Deborah, which is holy place. Hallelujah. Come on, we're building up to something here. Hallelujah. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision. After we go through this time of reproving, he says, here's the vision. Inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail, though it tarries. Wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. What is the vision? Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Psalm 72, last verse, last words of David. You don't have to turn to it. I'll just quote it for the sake of time. Thank you, Pastor, for extending my time. Hallelujah. David says, last thing he said, let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Hallelujah. Numbers 14, God is ready to exterminate everybody. and says, Moses, you and I, we're going to do a new race through you. He says, Lord, pardon them. Okay, I'll pardon them according to your word. But truly as I live, the whole earth will be filled with my glory. In other words, every generation that comes up, is that a generation that has a heart after me? I want to flood this earth with my glory. What are the angels, the seraphim around Isaiah chapter 6, night and day, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the armies of heaven. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's the vision of heaven. And that's what God wants to download here. Now, it's very interesting. Cambridge University Press in verse 14, I love what they do here. Actually, the word knowledge here, it's not a noun. It's an infinitive. It's properly translated in Hebrew. Cambridge University Press does it correctly. It's not the knowledge of the glory is going to fill the earth. It says the earth shall be filled by knowing the glory. This is sweet, isn't it? I love it. The earth shall be filled. As you say, okay, Lord, what's going to be filled with your knowledge? Okay, do it, man. You're sovereign. We're ready. We're ready. No, he's looking for lightning. He's looking for contact points. Let's repeat that. It's tra- per- per- Let me rewind. Okay. The earth shall be filled by knowing the glory. The Hebrew word for knowing here is da'at. First time it was used. It's not intimacy. Excuse me, it's not information. It is the word for intimacy. Adam knew his wife Eve. There was a supernatural interfacing between both of them. The two became one. Hallelujah. It is that residue, that knowledge, that intimacy that Jesus and his church are built. Oh, glory to God. 
When adultery, fornication is mentioned in the Bible, it never uses this word da'at. It's intimacy. My people perish for the lack of Bible schools in North America. My people perish for the lack of da'at or intimacy. Intimacy, into me see. And so this is what's happening, brothers and sisters. God wants to flood the earth by us knowing his glory. It's, God's very practical. He's very pragmatic. He says, build me a tabernacle. Not that you're comfortable in, that I'd be comfortable in. <laughs> That's why I, I feel like, I just don't like it when I hear about seeker-sensitive services. I like spirit-sensitive services. I don't like program-orientated. I like presence-orientated. Programs are three, four, five, six down the list. You know what I'm saying? If you're not careful, programs can become pogroms. Ooh. (laughs) A pogrom is uh, destructive. I mean, very destructive against God's people in Russia and Poland and those times. And so we see the whole scarlet cord of redemption go through the Bible. Many of you know that. But how about the scarlet cord of friendship now? The Bible is all about, that's why God goes through Genesis 1 so quick to get to the tabernacle, because he, the whole Bible is full of God's wanting to dwell and disclose himself to man. Go back to chapter one, 2 and verse 4. Paul catches this. He goes, he goes into Arabia for three and a half years. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to him. He comes back preaching a message of faith, the word of faith message. Hallelujah. And it says here in verse 4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Romans 1, Galatians 3, Hebrews 10, the entire New Testament is built upon that one must-receive scripture right there. The just shall live by faith, right there. However, and I was raised in Tulsa. I was cut my teeth on the Word of Faith message. I thank God for it. I've gleaned. However, recently I'm seeing new things I never saw before or heard taught. First of all, this word faith here, it doesn't talk about the substance of faith. It's the word more faithfulness or the fruit of character. The just shall live by faithfulness. That's why I'm going to get on the case of some of the pastors that said to me, oh, yeah, we'll be there, Brother Scott. Well, where are they tonight? Well, this happened, this happened. Well, it's okay. Kind of a little slack. However, if you're not going to do something, don't say it. Don't say it just to be nice to me, okay? Say it like it is, okay? God's looking for faithfulness. Now let's talk about the word loving kindness real quick. The word loving kindness in Hebrew is chesed. Say that, chesed. Chesed does not mean like emotional, warm, fuzzy. Loving kindness is actually translated not just loving kindness, but covenant loyalty. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. His loving kindness endures forever. 
Why is his loving kindness and nurse forever? Why is he good? Because he's utterly faithful and loyal to his covenant. That's why the Hasidim in Israel, the Orthodox, call themselves Hasidim. They think that they're loyal to the covenant. So God's loving kindness to us is displayed not by the things that we would think agape is, but by his utterly loyal. And he's looking for the same fruit of loyalty and faithfulness. And that is what, oh, hallelujah, pleases him. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 11 as we switch gears. I mean, you get into this subject, you get in this thing for weeks, months. I mean, I've been in it for 10 years. He asked my wife. It's like, whew. I had the privilege of going uh, scuba diving with an uh, Israeli Navy SEAL commando in Egypt in the Tehran Straits. And uh, we were going along about 25 meters, beautiful corals and fish. I mean, just worshiping God underwater. Jacques Cousteau, eat your heart out. Hallelujah. <laughs> he was teaching me different things that the Navy SEALs do. It was a lot of fun. And then uh, I looked to my left, and I didn't really believe it until I got in the water and saw it. He says, be very careful. The water here is so clear, before you know it, you can be in 100 feet of water and big problems. And I looked to my left, and I said, utter blueness like to infinity and beyond the water went down like like two kilometers straight here i was coming along and you know 60 feet of water having fun two kilometers and i just began to realize how big god really is you know (laughs) and how really deep this river is (laughs) it's beyond us folks And so we see here in verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. We actually need to adjust our thinking. Those of us from Tulsa, Fort Worth area, hallelujah, is not talking about a substance of faith, but faithfulness, the more of the character, okay? You say, well, how can you say that? Because look at chapter 10 and verse 35. Stay with me. Come on. Come on. We're almost, you're doing good. Come on. Verse 35 of chapter 10, Therefore do not throw away your confidence as a great reward. Here's these Jewish people. They're under tremendous persecution. They've seen all the miracles of Jesus' ministry. Horrible persecution. Some are throwing in their towel, giving up. What can hold them steady? Verse 36, You have the need of endurance, that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. What's the promise? We just read it right here. For yet in a very little while he was coming, will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So the Shekinah glory of God is attracted to those that bring him pleasure. And so we're talking about faith for the glory now. An attitude, a lifestyle of faithfulness, hallelujah, to experience an intimacy with Him, hallelujah, that's been prophesied of old, glory to God, that we're quickly being funneled into the visitation of the glory of God on planet earth that's going to shake and bake, perplex, unpropelled, unpredictable move of the Spirit worldwide. And it's coming out of this house and this house here. And so he said, now read verse chapter 11, verse 1. 
And I, I honestly, listen, I thank God for the Word of Faith teachers that have trained me and we glean. Thank God for them. Amen. But I've never heard one of them take the scripture of Habakkuk and apply it to chapter uh, 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. To the Jewish mind, okay, faith is not well known at this time. So, what's the context? Faith for the glory. Faith for the glory is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. See, the, the writer's quoting right off Habakkuk here. You getting it? Verse 6, without this type of faith, what type of faith? To be faithful. Ooh, hallelujah. It's impossible to please God. Who comes to God and believe he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, okay, that necessitates, okay, we need more faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Just give me a few more minutes here, folks. Go to Romans 10, that, that scripture many of us know, we've quoted and I want to just throw a different curveball into the faith message, a good curveball. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 10, we've all heard that, haven't we? Verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Messiah. You all still out there with me? And what we have done, there's nothing wrong with that. God needed to teach us faith through the last couple decades. But verse 17 has been divorced from its context. It's like if I just get all, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So let me get all the scriptures that pertain to how I want to live and all the things I want to claim. And let me just really get my confession going really good. And then I can somehow twist God's arm into doing something for me. Some people won't call it name it, claim it, whatever. I mean, and I'm not against that. I, I think we need to confess God's word and we need to find that search out the promises. Amen. But first of all, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. What does it come by? Just reading the Bible? No, it's the word rhema here. It comes by when the Bible starts reading you. You say, Scott, how long should I read the Bible each day until it starts reading you? (laughs) So the words come off the page. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Messiah. We need to increase our faith, increase our faithfulness to please him because he wants to dwell among us. Hallelujah. However, when Paul said this under the inspiration of the Spirit, he wasn't thinking of Fort Worth, Tulsa, Dallas, Word of Faith message. He didn't even have the New Testament yet. All he had was the parchments of the Old Testament. Word, what was he talking about? What is this faith that pleases God? What is this faith that we're, ooh, hallelujah. Look at verse 16. We'll find out. However, they did not all heed the, good, the glad tidings or the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The report. What report? Go with me to Isaiah 53. We are hearing a message, and we needed to hear that, but for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. We've got to get this thing back into the middle, And we're thinking we need faith to get us out of our problem. But the scripture that Paul just quoted is not getting us out of our problem, but plunging us into something deeper that produces faith. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot 
like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised, forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. What does this have to do with faith? Hang on, folks. I don't want to get too complicated. Just make it real simple. It's in your place where you're acquainted with grief and sorrow and have been rejected by your brothers that faith is born. When Jesus was rejected, come on, Isaiah 53, right here. A man of sorrows. Who's believed our report? Nobody believes. Abba. That's when faith was born. That turned the whole course of redemption of history for you and I. It's deep, folks, but it's awesome. Think about Hebrews chapter 13. Let us go outside the camp bearing his reproach. You say, well, I'm going to get back into the camp. Wait a minute. Could it be that the desert, which is the holy place, our place of taking on his sorrows and his reproach is the place that we believe his, his report and faith is birthed. Hallelujah. Study that. Study out Isaiah 53 and Romans 10, verse 17. Because Paul quotes Isaiah 53 to propel the message of faith. How is faith born, which God is looking for is faithfulness, when you're the utter place of Gethsemane? Not my will, your will be done. Who believes the report? Who believes the ministry of mine? Who, everybody's like, oh, 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 that's where the crucible of faith is, and that's what pleases Abba. Hallelujah! That I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Two more passages of Scripture. The first one, John chapter 12. The shrinking conference. Hallelujah. John 12, verse 21. Therefore they came to Philip from Bethesda of Galilee and began to ask him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered and said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. It's powerful stuff. Hallelujah. This is where faith comes. Faith comes by hearing the word of Messiah, the rhema word. Where? When you're in a place where who has believed our report? It goes on and says here, in verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light, in order that you may become the sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? It's when you've experienced the glory of God and the river of God, but at times it seems like, 
you know Jesus, but that intimacy is not there. It's almost like he's hiding himself, drawing into a deeper place. That's the place faith is born. Don't give up. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, for this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, perceive with their heart, be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is where Jesus is quoting from, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Angel came, touched his lips, says, you're clean. said, Hineni, or the verse actually before it, who shall go for us? Hear my Lord, send me. Okay, I'm sending you to a mighty, multitude, healing revivalist. You're going to have the nations and kings will accept you. (laughs) I'm sending you to preach a message that they'll not understand and they'll not see lest they come and return and be healed. How long, Lord, till cities are devastated, but there'll be a remnant left over in the stump. What I'm understanding by the seasons and the kairos moments of God's glory is that he always, when he's finishing out one season into a next season, he always brings a plumb line of division. And that plumb line of division comes with a message that will harden people not to understand the message because God knows what's in their heart. We don't know. Come on, we're talking about predestination here, folks. Hallelujah. But there's always, when there's a plumb line drops, there is those that will understand. Great faith for your life mission, your operation God's called you in is birthed when you feel the plumb line dropping so low it hits you in the hills and pushes you into a new place and friendships that used to have are gone. Lord, who has believed our report? You look around, who's believed our report? My brothers don't believe me. They're selling me off to the Malachites. I'm going to Egypt. I'm in prison. Nobody believes. But the word of the Lord tested him there. Hallelujah. And that was the place of faith that saved the whole Jewish nation. Glory to God. Is there one here tonight that wants to save the nation? Smile. It's a happy message. Let's conclude and let you sleep on this now. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. <laughs> I'm trying to be obedient to the pastoral authority. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Now you understand. You know what is so awesome? I was taught in Bible school that the pastoral epistles, you need to know, you know, Timothy and Thessalonians, and you really know that as a minister. I really think that 2 Corinthians talks more about ministry 
the ministry of the glory, the ministry of reconciliation. Hallelujah. It's really a powerful book. I think it's a minister's handbook. Anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now the thorn in the flesh is not your mother-in-law or father-in-law. It's the Greek word angelios. It's a, it's a personality. Okay? And this... <laughs> Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, let's study this out real quick. Paul's thorn in the flesh was not sickness, was not disaster, all those things. <laughs> yeah, the pus coming out of his eyes. You know, read Frank Bosworth's book, Christ the Healer, you know, and If you study Paul's life, wherever he went with the mystery of the gospel, his brothers wanted to lynch him. This is a supernatural thorn in the flesh. And this is this place, God didn't want to remove it from him, but this is the place of the incubation of, of where faith comes, hallelujah, to give us the word and the revelation. Paul went. The man was healed, and they said, the gods have come down in the Laconian language. Yeah. Hermes and Zeus, remember that story? Yeah. They're bringing out garland and oxen to sacrifice to him. Yeah. And then some Jewish people, they don't even say it, they had a legal argument. Some trial attorneys. Yeah. I know, my dad's a trial attorney. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. A frivolous lawsuit yeah. came. And here are the crowds wanting to worship Paul and offer sacrifices. And one verse turns and they kill Paul, stone him to death and throw him outside the city. One verse with a legal argument. This guy, remember the man was impotent? He was healed in Lystra. They said, the gods have come. They had their own little. And in one verse, supernaturally, they turned on him and and killed him. Or whatever, throwing him out as dead. What is that we call? That's a supernatural thorn in the flesh. Let's read on. Verse 9. Stay with me, folks. Come on. We're talking about the Shekinah glory now. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, for those that want to renew their English, most gladly, therefore, is a superlative. It's the highest form of expression. Most gladly, therefore, I'll boast about my weaknesses that the power of Messiah will dwell in me. Why is Paul saying this? Because he understood Exodus. The power of Christ to dwell in me, the word dwell there, come on folks, stay with me. Listen to this. This is it's the same word used in the Septuagint, the Greek language of the Old Testament. 
talking of the Shekinah glory enshrining itself in Solomon's temple. Come on, come on, catch this. Remember the priest, come on, the Lord's good. Second Chronicles 5, the glory came down. They couldn't minister. Then Solomon Shlomo goes through the prayer of forgiveness again, you know. Rise up, O God. And now, that, chapter 7, not just the glory comes, but the fire this time comes. How about that for revival service? That enshrinement of the glory within the temple is the same word Paul uses here. Hallelujah. Most gladly, therefore, I'll boast about my weaknesses that the power of Messiah may enshrine itself, his Shekinah glory in this temple. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses. Distress is stress times two, okay? (laughs) Persecutions, difficulties for Messiah's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When you're in that place of weakness, what is the weakness? It's not physical weakness. It's when it's just you and Abba, and everybody else around you says, we don't believe this report. We don't believe this word. Hallelujah. That's where his grace is more than enough. And this is the birthplace of the Shekinah glory, taking you from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from freedom to freedom. And verse 12 is the true apostles. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance. What's the perseverance? The thorn in the flesh and learning how to overcome it and then glorying in your weaknesses. I die daily. Death works in us, but life in you. Hallelujah. And understanding that, that's the kind of apostles I want to hang out with. Not just the signs, wonders, and miracles. Selah, to be continued. Hallelujah. International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. 
you're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening, go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says, if anybody would call upon your name, they would be saved. I'm calling today, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming running home to you now. In your name I pray. Amen. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www.flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.